Hello and welcome to the Run With Ellie live show, the show that brings you stories from your everyday runners to professional athletes and other specialists in the running community who all share a common passion for the sport. I'm your host, Coach Allie. I hope my podcast can help you change the way you live and the way you move so in the long run, you're able to live a sustainable and healthy lifestyle that you deserve. The purpose of this podcast is to promote the love of running. Throughout my experience speaking with the individuals in the running community, I've found that many of us seek acceptance and relatability in some way, shape, or form. On Run With Alley Live, I tie together the common pain points and solutions through the stories told by the special guests on the show. Each individual has a unique running journey and shares how running impacts the mind and body in the sport and outside of it, both mentally and physically. So stop being so hard on yourself. Tune in right here weekly for new motivational episodes with special guests to inspire you to change your life for the long run. Thank you once again for joining us on Run With Ally Live. Please don't forget to support the show and our special show guests by clicking on the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you choose to listen to the show on. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Run With Ally Live podcast. It is Tuesday, November 8th, and it is really brisk and cold in New York City. What do you think, David? Do you like this weather? Love this weather. I walked four miles in it all over the city today. I'm like, it's too beautiful to be popping subways. I love it when it's in the 50s, just cool and crisp. That's where I thrive. So took full advantage all afternoon. And it's the best for running as well. It's the Today is actually the exact degree it was for the New York City Marathon last year, 52 degrees straight up. So it's perfect. You know, I could just tell how excited you are about sharing that, especially with that shirt you have on and, you know, celebrating right. the 50th anniversary of the New York City Marathon. Um, I'm so excited to have you on the show today. And yeah, you know, I just want to go out for a run in this weather. But before we dive in to anyone who is new on here, I hope you enjoy this special episode with David Geddes, who is an operating partner for Fleet Feet, and they are a major running brand in New York City. And, you know, this is not a sell, but uh, if you need to get shoes, go check them out. And yes, for you new subscribers, um, you, you new listeners, please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. And for those of you returning to the show, I hope you've already subscribed. And without further ado, we're going to dive into it. So, David, welcome to the Run With Alley Live podcast. Thank you. Great to be on here. It's great to have you. Could you just tell us a little bit about yourself and the brand you work for? For starters? Sure thing. Absolutely. So I've been running for a long time, but not consistently. So I would say around 2015, I started to run at a much higher volume than I had been in some prior years. And at the same time, that was the fifth year I was working uh, from a home office, um, just completely sedentary, completely closed off for the last five years. And it just kind of reached a point where I wanted to be way more active, way more social. And that's what led to me switching industries entirely. So I left book publishing full time and came into the running industry. So that was around 20, that was 2015, just over seven years ago. And a lot has happened in seven years, um, but it's been quite quite the ride and uh, it's a lot to look forward to as well. Fleet Feet's a great company. Fleet Feet um, acquired all the 
Jackrabbit stores uh, almost a year ago. So that was an exciting acquisition. Uh, and it's uh, it's been a great ride ever since. Wow. Seven years just flies by, doesn't it? Absolutely. It's, it's uh, all a blur. I've searched for emails thinking they were from 2019 and they're from 2016. I'm like, how is that? How? How is that possible? They're just lost years throughout. It's just you know complete whirlwind. Um, and also when you're when you're, when you're working long days um, in a field like that, um, time just flies. Like it never never drags ever. Like there's never never a dull moment. Never bored ever at all. <laughs> you know, runners were crazy like that. You know, we just can't have a dull moment. So it's very fitting for you that you said that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, so thank you for that, you know, recap and that little story. You know, I have to ask, is the New York City Marathon Week your favorite week of the year just because of all the events you guys put up? Yeah, it's definitely one of the most fun and social and simultaneously tiring weeks of the year. Um, but I would never want to skip it despite, you know, the the sleep deficit that might be accumulating, you know, by the time you reach Saturday and marathon Sunday rolls around and, um, you know, you can sleep in a little bit more, you know, we have a lot of early morning events that, you know, we're starting set up at 6am. So when you can wake up at say 8am, you know, on, on marathon morning, and we had the time change over the weekend. So, uh, technically that would have been 9am. So that was luxurious in comparison to, you know, heading over to set up for events, you know, at five something to be there at six. Um, but yeah, you're not only hosting a lot of great events and uh, entertaining a lot of runners and bringing them together for all these social aspects, but you're also seeing a lot of your brand partners and people you don't see um, all that often. You, you know, some people you only see them once a year and it's marathon week. So you want to kind of take full advantage and, and, you know, have as many conversations as you can and catch up as much as possible with people. That's interesting. Conversation. So what's like the best conversation you had this past week, just because we just had the New York City Marathon on Sunday, which was pretty cool experience. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the best conversations revolve around people's journeys to the marathon. And, you know, again, you've got over 50,000 individual stories. And I think that's the beautiful thing about running is it's, you know, Non-runners aren't really going to fully grasp it, but runners are going to understand that there are just so many different layers and facets that can go into somebody's entire, you know, training journey and, and what led them to that point. So no one story, uh, you know, overlaps with the other fully. Uh, so it's it's a beautiful thing to hear, you know, so many different experiences and what that, you know, journey means to people individually, because there are a lot of different uh you know significant portions to it um for one person versus the other and vice versa oh yeah for sure i can only you know imagine the array of runners you have from aspiring marathoners to season runners to you know i mean boston qualifiers you name it uh i'm sure you encounter a lot of people and that's really cool and i have to ask you just because being a running coach and a runner myself uh, a lot of the time I get asked, you know, what, what trainer should I get? How many different trainers should I train in? Should I get my vapor flies and only train in them for races? You know, all the things. 
I'm not a shoe specialist (laughs) and I know you aren't, but you know, you do work for a great brand that sells shoes. And so this wasn't in the pre uh, show note questions, but I'm pretty sure you got, got a good handle on this one. Um, What do you recommend to people when they ask you, you know, Hey, this is my first marathon coming up. What do you recommend I should do in terms of getting shoes, getting, you know, maybe goose, like what, like, how should I go about this? If they just walk into the store and you're kind of there. Yeah. I mean, regardless of, you know, there are times where regardless of what shoes someone has tried on or, or even, you know, if I'm in the area and, you know, a sales person has brought them a whole, you know, crop of shoes, the number one question is still, well, well, what do you run in? What do you train in? What are your favorite shoes? People really want to know, you know, what's working and, and what's not, even if I'm not entirely overlapping with the specs they need. So, A, you need to keep in mind that it's a very individualistic process. So what works for me is not necessarily going to work for somebody else. So I'll fill them in on potentially what products I'm using, but I'm not going to tell them just because it's working for me doesn't mean that you should be reaching out and, and grabbing them off the shelf right now or trying to acquire them or implement them into your routine. So you want to be conscious of that. Um, but if someone is, you know, similar to me in terms of being, say, a very neutral uh, foot, um, you know, rigid arch, you know, high arch, not, you know, collapsing inward, you can have more of a, of a direct conversation on, on what you think will work or what won't work for them. Um, so the one thing I do recommend is not getting entirely used to just one exact spec of shoe, um, like doing all of your training in just the same offset, which is how much higher the heel is in relation to the forefoot. Um, the unofficial term for that would be, you know, the drop of a shoe. Um, I do recommend people running in at least two different drops. They don't have to necessarily be drastically different. It could just be, you know, an eight millimeter drop versus a 10 millimeter or a six to an eight or four to a six, whatever's working for that person individually, but have a little bit of variation. So if you ever are switching in the future, you're not all of a sudden feeling all wonky and out of sorts and your, your muscles and, and, you know, whatnot are responding a little bit differently to different specs of footwear. Um, another thing I get, I would like people to try and embrace is just, you know, you have a long training process. If it is for a marathon, you do want to protect your legs and your feet. And even if, you know, you have say a faster shoe in your arsenal doesn't necessarily mean you should be doing all your training in it. Um, there is a, a spot for it for, you know, specific workouts, um, you know, repeats, track workouts, interval work, um, fart leg workouts, tempo runs, but it's in my opinion, unless, you know, somebody is, you know, super, super resilient and, and healthy and used to it. You do want to have a more protective trainer for a lot of the other, you know, runs, your slower runs, your easy miles. And then the conversation is, you know, depending on the runner, whether they should run in a separate racing shoe, say like a, like a Vaporfly or, you know, an Endorphin Pro 3 or uh, SC Elite V3 by New Balance, which I tried recently, which is an amazing shoe. Uh, I would definitely recommend people try that shoe. It's a it's a great new option, uh, very solid update. 
Um, but then you have other people that don't feel comfortable switching to a racing shoe if they've done the, the brunt of their training in you know a more reliable shoe that they've become accustomed to and say they have maybe an insert in that shoe and they can't really put an insert in the racing shoe and they're just paranoid that it's not going to work for the race if they just switch so that's okay i mean some people aren't concerned with potentially being four percent and change more economical during the marathon their their goal is to is to finish it um so in that case you know wearing the same you know shoe that they trained in is completely fine as long as it's not you know at the end of its lifespan i wouldn't recommend doing a marathon in a shoe with 400 miles on it you definitely want it to be a lot fresher than that for the actual race yeah that, thank you for all of that that was very good very good information um and so the listeners on here you know if you're an aspiring marathoner now you just heard it from someone other than myself uh what works for someone does not always work for you. Don't copy what others are doing and seek personalization and help when you're training for your first marathon. Yes. That being said. <laughs> so David, what is, what do you mean by drop? Like, what does that even mean? And how would that benefit me if I was running my first marathon? Yeah. So drop, um, is how much higher the heel is in relation to the forefoot. So, I had mentioned like, you like know, an eight, 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 eight and a 10. So a 10 millimeter, you know, drop offset shoe, the heel is going to be 10 millimeters higher than the forefoot. So that's like the, the angle of the ramp up to the heel. Um, the higher the drop, the less, I guess, you're working the, the back of the leg in terms of your calf, your Achilles. Because um, if, if it's angled up with each foot strike, it's not stretched out as much when you're landing. So it's a little bit easier on the calf and Achilles and, and, you know, shoes, if you look back throughout the decades, they really were never built up, you know, until, you know, the late eighties, maybe the nineties was, was, I would say, you know, the pinnacle of, of drop where, you know, you're just having wedges of material where the shoes were getting real high, you know, 12 millimeters was standard. Um, but before that, that wasn't really the case. Um, it was originally done to to offset, you know, taxing on the calves and Achilles for runners. The flip side is that the higher the drop, if somebody does have maybe some some knee issues, some some lower back issues, um, it has been shown to potentially be a little bit. Uh, more taxing on those areas while it's relieving other areas. So there's certain trade-offs and it's kind of important to to find what works best for you. And, you know, some people, the sweet spot is, is sort of in the middle. Traditional was always 10 to 12. Shoes went all the way down to zero. So lots of people kind of like that six to eight area. Interesting. You know, I, I've honestly, this is a personal question I'm curious about, but do you think that the way you run and how you run impacts like what kind of shoe you're going to have? So say your technique is really off and you don't know how to properly propel off of the ground or use that ankle extension during push off in the gait cycle, uh, which is just for everyone listening. It's, it's a cycle in your running. Um, and there's three of them pushing off is pushing off from the ground. And it's like, just think of wearing a high heel, like a stiletto heel that's dorsiflexion. So when you, hear that term just think about that running in high heels but don't do that 
Um, so do you think running technique, David, has an impact on, I guess, what kind of drop you would get? Like, do you watch the way people run? I guess, very simply put. Yeah, so the lower the drop, the more it can encourage um, more of a midfoot strike. So if somebody is more midfoot to forefoot, you know, having all that excess weight in the heel really isn't isn't doing much for them. If somebody is just more of an accentuated heel striker, and then you have your whole conversation about, you know, how no one heel strike is the same, where somebody's heel striking in front of their center of gravity, uh, it's obviously not going to be great, but if they're having a lighter, less angled heel strike more underneath their hips, it's kind of okay. I think, you know, if I remember correctly, I haven't seen Meb race in a while, but I'm pretty sure he always had like a, a light heel strike, whereas a lot of other, you know, elite runners were, were just very midfoot, but I think Meb had a light heel strike. Other elite runners do have a very light heel strike. There have been studies that show like that very light heel strike where your legs are still coming in and you're landing on your center of gravity could still actually be economical for a really long race. So it's okay as long as you're not overstriding. Um, but if someone's like pretty much a heel striker and they're never going to change potentially that, you know, having more in the heel can help them. You know, when you look at, there's so many different conversations that can be had around this. When If you're looking at like little kids running anywhere, like on a front lawn through a sprinkler at the beach, especially when they're much younger, like they are very on their toes, like very forefoot. And that like starts to shift for people the more they experience activity and like built up footwear and they start to take advantage of all that cushion underneath the heel and they start to overstride when they're doing these races in gym class or the mile in school and you know they have all that foam whereas if like if you did an experiment and you kept these kids barefoot growing up the entire time that's never going to happen they're not going to be landing on their heels barefoot they're not going to start overstriding so when you kind of equate that to some other countries where maybe that you know fancier footwear is not accessible or, or even owned by by certain kids they you know for all intents and purposes they do develop better mechanics growing up and there are certain certain patterns that that play out um so yeah the built-up footwear does allow for more of a heel strike if somebody wants to be as midfoot as possible the more evenly distributed the weight of the shoe is the better so when you have less of a drop um, the heel is less heavy in relation to the forefoot. It's the cushion is more evenly distributed throughout the shoe. And if you're tiring later in a race, you, you can feel the difference. The shoe's going to feel a little bit less heel heavy and whatnot. That was a really great explanation. I love that. And I love the analogy you made to kids running. I never honestly realized that myself, but it's, it's crazy because I feel like we need to be retaught how to run here, like here in the U S like we're not Kenya where, you know, their lifestyle is a lot different than us. They're not as sedentary and they also don't have the opportunities that we have here. And so, yeah, that's a great, you just made me want to throw away all my running shoes right now and go back to training barefoot like I ever have. But I mean, you know, it's, that's really interesting to just kind of know and have the knowledge of. So thank you so much for sharing that. That was really cool. Good to know. Um, I guess moving on away from like the technical stuff, now the fun stuff. So 
the New York City running community, it's huge, right? It's like massive. I know you have group runs that are upwards of 100 people at a time every week, which is amazing. Um, there's such a special value in the New York City running community, I guess to all of us, but I guess what do you find the most valuable in it? And I know that's a loaded question. So you could take that where you want to go. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the best part is that it's just it's accessible to anyone. Um, for the most part, sure, you need to hopefully have a decent, you know, pair of shoes. But, you know, it's not like you need the most expensive, you know, tech apparel to to show up and join a group run. You can show up in anything. I mean, I was just showing this picture to somebody the other day. Like, my dad ran the 1979 Jersey Shore Marathon in all cotton. Cotton on cotton on cotton. Just cotton t-shirt that looked just you know, filthy and an open cotton hoodie the entire run. Um, I don't know what the shorts were, but I'm assuming they were cotton. So, I mean, that was done for years. Um, somebody doesn't really have to be well off to get into a running community and form bonds and relationships and just expand their horizons. It's really accessible to anyone. Um, and I've seen just so many people meet through running events that I've had. And it's, it's interesting like, where you know somebody, you know somebody else, you might see them at other events, you know, in your past. And then all of a sudden, you know, worlds collide and you see people that you know from, you know, different areas all meeting or becoming friends. So just brings a lot of different groups and, and backgrounds and cultures together. Um, the runs that I started more recently in New York City um, out of Columbus Circle, the goal was to really have that be an accessible run and advertise it right off the bat as open to any skill set. A lot of people have a um, preconceived notion that's not accurate, that you have to be, you know, a certain speed or fast to, to join a run. Or I did runs in Hoboken for years and um, people would... <laughs> dm for years like oh you know still got to come to your one of your runs you know not fast enough yet or got to get in better shape and you know the reply was always like doesn't matter like you're fine just just show up it's such a wide group of people in a wide range of paces you don't you don't have to get to a certain level to join us though i'm not fast enough to run with you guys you know people just assume things that that aren't you know accurate aren't on point so with this run from Columbus Circle, I really wanted to very vocally, you know, extend that message that, you know, if you want, if you're running even like, you know, if you're running 12, 13 minutes, we're going to have somebody stay with you. Like, I'll run as slow as I have to, you know, if somebody's there, I'll stay with the last person, you know, if I'm taking part in that run. Um, nobody left behind that whole you know, philosophy holds true for these runs. Um, and I think marketing it that way, per se, you know, just only on Instagram, really. But I think it did help draw a much wider crowd because right out of the gate, you're talking about a run that didn't exist and things were so busy back in July. Like, I didn't post this run. It's like 1030 at night for the next day. Like, I didn't even have the lead time I would normally, you know, encourage my... New York City managers to have if they're hosting an event like I did not even follow my own advice and the run still drew 
a huge group the very next day. It just, I don't know, just word spread very quickly. Like, who knows? They, the post was shared like 300 times, which I had rarely seen in terms of metrics behind the scene. Like, there were just so many people that seemed instantly excited. It helped that the page already had a decent following um, and it just took off. Um, but I think if I had had that first event without any of that uh, that verbiage um, communicated, I don't think it would have been as large because we did get a lot of recreational runners, people saying they were joining up for a group run for the first time. They had never run with other people, all these different comments being made. So it was nice to see that that community all of a sudden existed for them where they didn't maybe do enough research prior or think that it you know, it was possible. That's awesome. Like, just so amazing. I mean, just for so many reasons, a lot of the runners I coach currently and you guys, yes, you're hearing it from me. I mean, you have a place to go to if you feel comfortable running, but a lot of us and a lot of them don't feel comfortable like necessarily running in groups because there's a stigma and this preconceived notion that you need to be fast to run. And it's just there. It's going to be there always. But just know that when you're working hard, that doesn't go unnoticed. At least, you know, having a community where you could go to and just like feel accepted and feel like you don't have to, I don't know, like run a certain pace and that pace is going to define you as a person. I mean, is a blessing. I love that you created a community like that. That's really, really special because there's not many of them around here, or at least that I know. And I, I hope to see that trend kind of change the running community and lower the barrier for entry to these runs even more. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So thank you for sharing that. And, you know, last question, but not least, I like to keep my episodes to 30 minutes. Um, (laughs) I'll rephrase this. Why did you say yes to being on the run with Allie live podcast? Sure. Um, Honestly, it's the first time I've been invited on a podcast so of course I was going to say yes. Um, I thought it would be fun to talk about anything running related. I had no idea what the content was going to be, but still said yes. I'm always down for any dialogues surrounding our sport. And I know you've had some some quality content in the past with some great guests. And yeah, I thought it would be fun to be part of that and, and be on an episode and and you know just discuss the sport that we both love i love that thank you so much for coming on here today and you know thank you so much for being on this show it's been really really fun chatting with you about running and you know i could chat running all day with you but um yes thank you so much and to all of you on here you better have subscribed to the show already. If not, please do so kindly after this episode. And I will be sharing David's information and Fleefy, as long as he's okay with that, in the show notes. And, you know, please be cognizant of of David's time when you reach out to him. Um, He's a person too. And other than that, I will see you all at the same time, same place next week. Thank you so much for joining, David. Thank you for having me. It's great being on. Yep. And thank you so much for listening, guys. See you next week. Don't forget to become a member on my website to get updates on my weekly new special episodes on the show, sharing fun running feats, training methodologies, and all things running related to help you keep your running fun. 
Reference the link in the show notes to become a member of the Run With Alley community so you can connect with other like-minded individuals who love running just as much as you do. Again, do not forget to subscribe to the show by clicking the follow plus button, Apple Podcasts, or subscribing on whichever platform you're listening to the show on. Please leave a review under the episode in whichever directory you're listening to the show in so I can better provide you with the top-notch content I strive to deliver you week in and week out. Thank you again for listening to Run With Alley Live. If you are looking for the perfect solution to finish your first marathon injury-free, even if you've tried to get in shape in the past and failed, sign up and get access to your free 24-week program now by clicking in the link in the show notes under this episode. Sign up now. All you need to submit is your email and I'll see you on the inside. Thank you so much for listening to Run With Alley Live. See you next time.